I believe Costa has an intro for us. No, I don't have an intro this time. <laughs> Fine. Um, welcome everyone to another episode, a hot and fresh episode of Live Booleans coming at you with your hosts Alex and Costa. How's it going? It goes well, my friend. It goes well. Um, we're for once in the same room. I know, it's a rare occasion, isn't it? You're actually a real person. <laughs> I am a. You NFT. exist. I am a. I am the new generation of NFTs. We are the flesh model. Are you immutable? I am immutable. <laughs> the flesh model. That's that's patented now. Anyone in that space? Um, anyway, we have a really good episode for you, as opposed to the not good episodes. All our episodes are good episodes. We are our. We have an extra good episode. We have an extra good episode. They should say. And they're all extra good episodes. Is that grammatically correct? Uh, extra good. Doesn't matter. I kind of like heaps good. It's a great episode. It's a South Australian colloquialism. It's an essay great episode. It's an essay great. It's heaps good. It's far out. It's cool bananas. It's no worries. Um, we have Mr. Ben Marsh from Odd Games. There you go. Monster Truck. Aficionados. Aficionados. <laughs> um, no, big players in the Monster Truck video game space for mobile, Steam, um, with their titles Monster Truck Destruction, Trucks Off Road. Um, those are two different titles. I know I just said that in succession. It sounds like it would go in one. Yeah, yeah, it does. All right, let's, let's try that again. Monster Truck Destruction and Trucks Off Road. Mm. Um, we cover some interesting things about Ben's start into uh, games, previously working in the automotive industry and in different business roles, lending well for him to end up being the um, managing director of Odd Games. Um, we look at what the landscape looked like for game development in South Australia mm. in 2009. Spoiler alert, it's bare bones. Um, yeah, what else, Costa? Just the, even the business side of things, I thought that was really interesting. Uh, the, the the way that you can slice and dice the racing genre on mobile, mm. like how how specific you can get into like truck racing games and everything like that. Like you wouldn't have. You, it's it's interesting to think of a market or a genre so detailed and I think that's like a, a key take one of the key takeaways as well is like having that that business hat on when you're making a game and thinking about who your customers are uh, where they are and what it, what the rest of the market looks like as well so yeah really interesting on that and and the business model canvas is is a tool that Ben talks about as well which um, is an awesome tool if anyone wants to, is looking at uh, you know making games as a business and just seeing how you can Again, slice and dice your, your market and who your customers are and all the channels to market and everything like that. Is there one we can provide a link to in the yeah, description? Yeah, we can provide a link. Yeah, for sure. Costa, I'll get you to provide a link in the <laughs> description. I'll get you to provide a link. <laughs> um, one other cool thing that we uh, touch on is the use of IP of other people's IP in your game. Mm. So, with these games dealing with monster trucks that have existed since some since the 70s, so like the first generation of monster trucks having to track down the owners... Um, we also talk about the like organizing partnerships as well and reaching out to people who have no idea about games and trying to kind of broker partnerships that was an interesting one as well yeah yeah and um, the how to approach a value proposition of who's basically who's doing who the favor when it comes to marketing and mm -hmm. is that a bad way of looking at it or will be revealed <laughs> cue us in John <laughs> Ben, thanks for, for joining us. Thanks for coming on. Um, my, so, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> ah, you're welcome. Um, so, yeah, so just getting right into it, um, Ben Marsh from Odd Games. So prior to joining you know, Odd Games, your, your work experience basically revolved around business management and automotive. So Odd Games seems like a perfect fit uh, for you. Um, what can you tell us about the state of Odd Games when it started? And how your uh, like past experience helped guide where Odd Games moved? Yeah, sure. Look, I met my business partners, David and Terry, 
back in 2011, I think it was, at a, uh, a startup program um, that used to be run here in Adelaide uh, called Mega. And at that time, you know, David and Terry had a, a working prototype of the Monster Truck Destruction game. And I guess their um, interest in going to that program was to, I guess, you know, sort of find a, or ideally, an active investor. And when I went into the program, I went there looking just to figure out, you know, how you actually commercialize ideas. So I've had plenty of ideas when I was younger, uh, but didn't know all the steps to take uh, to go from idea to, yeah, fundamentally commercialization, you know, start uh, selling a product or service and, and making money and, and getting your business going. So through that process, um, I met David and Terry. Um, and I, I guess, you know, we were just like-minded. Uh, we thought there were some synergies there. So we got together and, you know, started effectively the business. Um, and it wasn't until probably six months later, uh, they were actually incorporated the business. So we, we registered it, got all our details set up, you know, set up a bank account and did all those fun, exciting things uh, when, when you initially set up a business. And just since that date, you know, we've just been learning uh, a lot, making errors, learning on those, listening to customers, refining processes, establishing processes, um, and everything sort of in between. And I guess, you know, my background, um, you know, prior to joining them was in, you know, fabrication, logistics, manufacturing, and I guess being very process orientated, it was a massive mind shift for me to understand how different game development is to traditional manufacturing. You know, manufacturing, it's, okay, here's a process, and today we're going to smash out 10,000 widgets. Uh, try and apply that to game development, boom, boom, it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a totally different mindset that you need, and it took me quite a while to get my head around that and appreciate that and understand that, probably much to David and, and Terry's frustration. Um, but, uh, you know, eventually we got there with that and, you know, there's even yeah, days now where, you know, I'm sure the three of us get, get frustrated with that, you know, we're perhaps not going as fast as we'd like or, you know, there's a, a technical issue that we need to resolve or whatever it is, um, you know, it comes up, so, you know, I'm forever remembering, hey, Ben, just take a step back. You know, this is a, a different process that, that we follow in game development and, you know, you just have ebbs and flow. So I think, you know, my background in, you know, those different industries help create, um, I guess, a, a very strong commercial acumen. And I think that's probably a large part of the value that I bring into odd games, you know, for the three of us, because David's our, our technical director. So obviously he brings in all the technical skills, which you're just amazing at. And Terry brings in all the, the creative side, you know, the creative elements. So, you know, and he's really gifted in that area too. So I think the three of us getting together, um, with our different skill sets really gave us a strong foundation to start the business from. And what are those um, differences you're saying about the, you know, the process driven as opposed to game development? Is it to do with uh, like logic and machines in one, and then you're dealing with people creating these assets in the game development path? Yeah, look, I, I think a lot of the time in, Game development, from from my experience, which is where we are now, ten years or ten a bit years, um, we have an idea or a cool thing that we want to develop, and we have an idea about how we're going to go about it, and we'll go along this path and we'll explore that. So you know, we'll develop it, we'll we'll drag in your know, artists, we'll grab in your know, programmers, and we'll get to a certain point where the theory doesn't work or the idea needs to change and then we go down another path and sometimes you've got to go back where you've been to go down another path and, you know, it's all of these unknowns. As we continue to up the ante in terms of our quality with our games, there's all these new bottlenecks that we come across all the time and it's, you know, you could on one hand you go, well, isn't that you know, strategic planning where you can sit there and think about all these bottlenecks that, that are going to come up? Yeah, maybe you could perhaps, you know, but then you'd probably employ someone who's just going to sit there and think every day about all these types of potential issues that have come up rather than actually, you know, getting work done. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just the it's the nature of the beast. You know, you you got to go down that path and, and explore it and see if it's actually possible to execute what we'd like to do. And, and sometimes it's not. You, you might just have to crush something until 
technology catches up and you know revisit that maybe in two or three years time it's just the way it goes you have to um almost account for those kind of bottlenecks to occur as you're going along like you kind of gotta go all right um, there's a buffer here of this amount of time because something is going to mess up um for us i guess we're in a lucky position where we don't really have deadlines so you know creating our own ip we don't have deadlines and we don't put sort of internal um i guess waypoints in place for us so we will have to hit certain targets by certain dates um i think not have been exposed to but but i think you know work for hire is probably going to be like that where you've got mm. a lot of customer expectation and, and contractual requirements around that so i guess we're lucky in essence where we can have that freedom to explore concepts and ideas not be locked in or constrained to any particular mm. way or making sacrifices on the product because we can just sort of let that ferment and go okay here what do we feel is the right way to go what actually works does that look good if it doesn't okay well, what do we need to do is it refining it is a refactoring it is it you know putting a different tweak on on the, the look and feel of it or is it just scrapping the idea altogether so we have a you know a few of those that that happen and it's just something that we are aware of and we just absorb and, and just run with that's just part of our development process mm-hmm. and did at any point did you because you obviously you spoke about like how that that might happen in work for hire a lot of game studios in adelaide like started in a work for hire kind of model what was the was there ever a consideration or was it just like we're going to make our own ip and and also why why was it just like you know that decision yeah i, I think for us it was always just make our own ip i think um you know reflecting back there was probably some initial discussion about you know work for hire but you know we, we just couldn't handle i think having those constraints placed upon us with mm. i think the biggest ones would be you know deadlines like we're just mm. so anti-deadline um and we just don't like i guess the pressure that comes with that um and so for us it's always been about look here we've got good ideas you know we we feel that we know what the holes in the market are and once we got our first game out you know that was validation that okay we, we sort of we got our finger on the pulse we're not experts we're not great but we know um what to do where to go essentially you know, you, you're off and running um and so yeah that that first product was really the validation point for us that has set us on our course and um yeah just a, a continual learning process from there and what did um for the south australian game developers listening take us back what what did the south australian game development scene look like in 2011 ish like yeah, when, you, well, when you started it it, it it was pretty non-existent to be honest like yeah. I, I reckon i could count the number of studios on one hand and <laughs> you know we, we 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 tried to get a like a, a very early sort of video games uh community network thing type going um and so you know there was like four or five of us i think and that's all that were doing video games at that time um and so you you went to like the indie games room and there's just like a handful there um a very small room um yeah it's just really headphones are non-existent you know you go speak to anyone outside of that small group about video games people are like oh you develop video games what here in here in adelaide <laughs> right and that's it that's as far as the conversation yeah, yeah. and uh, people just had no idea which was fine yeah we just thought it was funny and yeah we great video games we know what video games are about blah 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 it's just waiting for the rest of the world to catch up but um yeah whereas now you know it's it's awesome you know to see so many people creating like awesome content um and so you know every time like you go to indie games room like it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger um every time i'm reading you know news feeds it's just like oh it's about this studio starting or this game coming out like holy crap like look at this this is awesome there's just so much small stuff coming out but that's just taking time um and energy and effort for that to, to happen you know over a 10-year period where you know i'll probably run out of fingers and toes now you're counting the, the number of mm-hmm. studios we have here in adelaide which is great and also you have a look at the number of ftes we have now within the industry it's you know it's a lot bigger than what we had and one one interesting stat is that not a lot of people in South Australia know is that the creative industries actually employs more people than mining. So when people think about mining, yeah. they go, oh, yeah, mining's quite large, you know, blah, 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 blah. You go, well, you know what? Creative industry is actually larger. We employ a, a bigger base than, than mining. So when you start putting those two in perspective, yeah, it's um, it, it gets some people interested then in some dialogue. 
Yeah, and what have you found um, the from your perspective the change in um, support like that that is available because I'm guessing it was non-existent back then and and like, what what did you notice being the thing that finally kicked like local yeah. support like government interest in the games? I, I think like anything, if you just keep persistent, um, keep sharing good news stories, keep positive, keep upbeat, um, you know, support and things will come. So. You know, back in the day, sound like an old man here, but, you know, where we started, we would network, um, I guess, you know, with the ministers and say, hey, look, you know, we do video games here. Oh, okay, what, what exactly are you doing with video games? So, all right, come down to wherever we were, you know, in, in our office, you know, come check it out, we'll show you. And we, and we did that and we just kept building that dialogue and every time we had a success, we'd share that success with them. Say, hey, look, you know, we've achieved this, we've achieved that. And then over time, you know, they start to become interested. Going, oh, this is pretty interesting. Like these, these guys, you know, the industry is growing. You know, it's doing certain things, and well, we should take a, another look. And then you, know, you start having that dialogue. Well, how, how can we help? And then you are saying, okay, well, here's the, the small things that you know w- would make a big difference for us. Um, so things like you know supporting um, developers, you know, getting to uh, you know like trade shows, like you know games conferences for some, like you know, the GCAP or you know, Gamescon or China Joy, all those types of things, you know, setting up those networks and contacts. And then you can start having discussions about, okay, what about financial support? So if you start doing some case studies and, and you know, writing up some papers, you go, well, look, you know, if you look at the UK, for example, they didn't start with any financial assistance. The government does that now, and they're, you know, one of the biggest players. If you have a look at uh, Vancouver in Canada, for example, you know, a, a similar case study, um, you can just see that the amount of, growth that that industry's had in terms of FTEs and you know, export revenue. You know, there's no reason why we can't do the same thing here in Adelaide uh, where we have the, I think, most unreal creative talents uh, on a per capita basis. For, for some reason, Adelaide is just this melting pot of awesome creativity. And it's not just in one you know, particular genre, like it is spread across everything. And that's why I'm always blown away. But when you see a post or a studio or a game coming out from here, you're like, wow, that's that's so cool. Like it's, mm. it's different. It's something that you won't have seen or have this different slant on it, whether it's the, the graphics or the art or the gameplay or the mechanics, whatever it is. Like it's just like, ooh, that's, that's super cool. And, you know, what we've seen over time is like big hits coming out of Adelaide. You know, they're just mm. coming out all the time. You know, you've got... Hollow Knight, which comes out, you know, we, we did all right, you know, with MTD and, and, and Trucks Off-Road. Um, you know, My Kingdom's kicking along and doing some great things as well. you got Deneth, you know, Foxy Games, um, you know, the horse riding tales. I mean, there's, there's some big titles coming out of here, and now we're getting to the stage because we've been around long enough, but you got sequel titles coming out, um, and you got new titles coming out. And it's just, yeah, really impressive to seeing these legacy IP being created all out of Adelaide. Mm. Yeah, and then you've got the the larger studio, um, Tencent. Uh, Tencent, <laughs> that would be interesting. Tantalus moving in, um, which will, you know, only raise all the ships. You know, you've got because because that's one thing as well. When when you when you get so granular with game development, like in the um, game developer Discord, and you hear everyone talking about government support, this and that. Um, yeah, I almost have to remind yourself that not everyone in it wants to start a business. Like some people just want to be a texture artist or a programmer and they and they need those larger companies to come over. So having that come them come over, you know, we, we, the amount of students will be able to pump out, you know, and employ directly and things like that. That's just going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Tantos is gearing up to, you know, put, put 50 people on, which is great. Um, I think there's some discussion about a, another uh, studio, you know, setting up as well, which is good. And, and so I think over time, what we'll see is that we'll just see more and more attraction coming here because we, we have the best creative talent. Like I'm, you know, in Australia, I'll, hands down, I would say that you know we we could take on anyone from here because we have such an amazing depth of our yeah. talent pool here. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't know whether we're just blessed because you know we've got the sea, we've got the hills, we've got everything in close proximity here. Um, we just have this this natural beauty and a really supportive you know network and industry around it that just fosters this natural organic talent that just seems to every year just pop another level higher. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah. Oh, going I was going to say, um, going back to um, uh, odd games. So, like reading a little bit about you know the the, the history and the 
state of the company when it started and the so not state of the company the state of the gaming scene um you know every time i think of odd games it's I always think how i'd never really considered that area and then learning how much of a big area that is what can you kind of tell us about the monster truck gaming scene or the racing scene especially in mobile development yeah look within i guess if you have a look at the total uh gaming industry and the different genres that compose of it racing generally makes up about five to six percent of you know, whatever the, the total annual gaming spend is, which I think is forecast this year to be probably, was a, I think last year was 140-odd billion. I think maybe this year is probably 150, 160 or something. Oh. Um, so, you know, if you take a, a 5%, 6% look at that and then you start, you know, splitting that out again. So this is where you sort of do your bit of a, you know, analysis now to go, okay, well, you know, if 5% is made up of, you know, the racing genre, does that mean if I make a racing game, everyone in that 5% is going to buy it? No. What that means is that that 5% now starts splitting that up further and, and dissecting it. So you'll have a percentage of players within that that love bitumen races, so people that love things like, uh, you know, Need for Speed, Gran Turismo, uh, somewhat Forza, you know, all those types of, you know, really great games. Um, they'll want to, I guess, you know, be pulled towards bitumen races. And then you have a percentage that want to go, cool, I like non bitumen racing, which is things like dirt and mud and more sort of creative motorsport sessions. So things like, you know, motocross or, you know, ATVs, you know, monster trucks, um, mud bogging, all those types of things is, is where those other genres come in. So for us, it's going, okay, well, we like mud and dirt. We're good at mud and dirt. We like our physics. We like our 3D environments. Right, well, that's going to be our niche. That's where we're going to focus our efforts. And, you know, within there we, we see, you know, some good titles that we could get in there and, and build and own, you know, over the next few years and, and create, uh, you know, sequels. So, you know, like Monster Truck Destruction 2, we've got that sort of in the works and the pipeline. Um, so that's what we want to do and, and focus on and build out, you know, our name within that, that small niche within the racing genre. And how have you seen um, the that, that genre develop since Odd, Odd Games appeared? Yeah, look, it's been pretty consistent. So motorsport categories, uh, you know, you end up with a very loyal following behind them. And so you don't find that it, it varies too much in terms of, um, you know, shrinkage or, or growth. It's always very consistent. It's always around that 5 or 6% market share of all the genres within gaming. Whereas, you know, you might see others which, uh, you know, might be, uh, you know, your, your hyper-casual games you know, that might shrink and grow depending upon, you know, what's happening and how much time people have got for these quick little games. Uh, whereas ours, you know, you're sort of seeing that people want to get engaged and spend more and more time in there um, in regards to session time. So, yeah, for us, it's always been consistent. Uh, we've never wanted to be everything to everyone. We've never wanted to go into RPGs or MMOs or, um, you know, puzzle games or match three or anything like that. Um, we've always just gone here. You know, since Terry identified a, a niche in the market for monster trucks, they're saying, okay, here's what we'll get into. Um, here's where we'll create our, our specialty, our niche, and that's what we'll stay true to. So I think you know, as, as part of our success and I think part of any success for a games company is identifying what you're good at, what your niche is, what opportunities lie in the market, and then if you can align all those and they match, well, that's probably the area you should go, you know, explore first off and then, um, you know, see where to after that. And what's uh, what's monetization look like in in those kind of games? Like even within the games that you that you develop as well, is it is it a like clear cut thing or is it kind of a bit nuanced? Yeah, it, it really depends on the title. You're still getting a mixture coming out where you know you still got your free to play, so there'll be a mixture of you know in apps and and ads. Um, but then you still have um, your, your pay titles as well. So I think that there's a healthy mix still in there. Um, yeah, it's probably over time we've definitely seen more go towards the free-to-play. I, I know, you know initially like we were a paid game, for example, and then, you know, the market was, was shifting and moving towards free-to-play and, you know, it took us a little bit of coercion to get us to move over to that um, in the early days, which we did, and then, you know, now it's just, okay, yeah, it's, it's free-to-play and explore those. Um, you know, consoles and PCs, you know, will we ever see free-to-play on those? Yeah, look, you, you can see it on there now. Will it get to the same sort of, you know, mixes what we have on mobile. I don't know. You know, it's an mm. interesting one. I think consoles always has this historical value associated to it where you're sort of getting a, a premium product with premium graphics, premium gameplay at a premium price. So 
I don't see that changing anytime fast. Um, but, you know, things change and evolve all the time. You know, we've had other platforms try to come into the market, uh, you know, like Google Stadia and, and a mm. few other streaming devices, which, you know, that's maybe the timing's not right. VRs, mm. um, you know, come in. That, that's, you know, found a, a niche. I think, what's that, the third iteration of VR? I guess that's trying to come into video games now. Um, you know, AR, you know, how much of a play that'll make? Mm, yeah. Don't know. Um, but what we're seeing, I think, on a whole, when you start looking at IP, is this micro segmentation of all these different clusters now of customers. We, we never had so much variation or catering, I think, for customer taste as what we have today. And tomorrow will be even more, and the day after, even more again. Um, I think where IP is getting is that it's becoming really tailored to all these micro cohorts everywhere. And so they, that's a, an interesting change, I think, in the market is how you can satisfy more needs of more people, uh, which is incredibly you know, demanding and challenging. Mm. And what was that uh, like transition like going from paid to, to free-to-play for you guys? Um, yeah, look, it was an interesting one because we weren't sold on it. You know, we, we had we had paid and we're like, cool, we, you know, we're getting getting paid every month. And we're like, oof, we're going to go free? Mm, I don't know. This sounds a bit risky. So, um, you know, we're like, well, if that's where it's going and, you know, people telling us that, yep, that's where it's going and so on, we're like, okay, well, let's have some faith and let's do it. And, you know, if it's wrong, we can just revert it back. So we, we did and, um, yeah, we, we've sort of, you know, embraced it um, and probably would never go back to a paid solely maybe there might be some creative things we do around that but um yeah i think the primary monetization model will be free to play on on mobile going forward um but you know one of the interesting things about our industry is that it's continually evolving so you know what the monetization model is today might not be relevant in six months or 12 months time because something fundamentally changes in our marketplace and i think that's one of the beautiful things we all are attracted to within our space is you can create something and it can have a an eternal product span. You know, there's, I was having a chat with someone last week about it. I was going, yeah, I'm really struggled to think of any other industry that can have an infinite lifespan on a product once it's created. You know, if you look at film, you make it, you ship it, you can't touch that again. Like, you can't mm. alter that. Video game, yeah, if something's not working, you get in there and start playing around and sorting it out and changing it and release it and change it, release it, change it, release it. And, you know, that, that product stays alive. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a really... I don't know. I think it's a really engaging industry that, that we're involved in. We're really lucky to be part of it. Mm. Actually, on that, with the um, uh, releasing a game, uh, cha- bringing it back, changing it, releasing it, re-releasing it, I noticed on the Odd Games website that uh, you're like actively looking for game testers. Uh, and it's just something I haven't really seen, you know, in other websites do of the um, developers outside of like early access on Steam. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us, like what kind of outcomes you've had um, from that, from having like public testing? Yeah, look, good question. Um, so for us, and, and, that's, and that's a hard one, um, because until you release a product, you're like, well, how, how, can, I, how can I get testers? Like, hmm. So for us, it, we found some cohorts of, you know, people that liked monster trucks and where they hung out and said, hey, look, you know, we're developing this game and, you know, we, we got some initial testers back then before we actually released our product so we can get some initial feedback. And I guess the way that we're structured now is that, you know, we have our internal QA team and, and processes, but we still have, um, I guess, our, our public testing beta teams, if you like, as well, um, where we can, you know, ship them updates um, and they can give us feedback, say, hey, this is broken, this doesn't work. Um, just, just get that, you know, quick customer feedback. And then that goes into our, you know, development mix where we say, oh, cool, we're on the money here or we need to change it or this isn't working, we need some more uh, development, more testing, whatever it needs to be uh, to get that feedback. So it's sort of at a, I know that the, the testing of feedback happens at multiple levels. Um, and I think, you know, holistically, if you get a, a solid build running internally first and then like an onion, start to, you know, build that out and, and you know, share that with the next layer without doing maybe like a full public release because if it's not ready for a public release, you know, you don't want to go down the baptismal fire. Um, and so I think that progressive approach is best if, you know, you're, you're resourced and able to execute that. I know when you're first starting out, you just cannot have everything. 
because uh, you know resources are tight and you just need to get that product out and then you, know, you need to rapidly I guess you know adapt uh, to whatever the feedbacks coming back through the channels at that time um, but yeah I guess as things go on and progress and you have to get a bit more sophisticated um, having those different layers of, of QA and testing definitely helps yeah nice and um, with that with the with the QA and the testing um, you said you have a internal team for that um, is that a constant so basically like when, when we we usually interview like a few UX people and um, you know uh, producers and things like that and that's like their their big advice is to get people in chairs testing those games as, as quick as possible have you found that that like the quicker the intervention the better um, I think it depends on what you're seeking feedback on so for us, it'll mainly be about uh, product performance on device, uh, less so about whether the game mechanics or the look and feel of things are on par. Uh, we've got a good feel and take on that. So for us, it's really, we're not seeking validation on yeah, design. It's, it's really on performance or um, bugs that we haven't been able to capture internally for whatever reason because we might not do the same um, game journey that a lot of our customers do um, because our assumptions might be wrong. Um, and so really that, that's what we're, we're checking um, is, is those yeah, different aspects. So I guess, yeah, QA and, and, and bug testing can be used uh, very effectively. It just depends, I guess, what you are seeking feedback on and yeah, how, how many iterations of feedback you, you need on that as well. Because if you're doing it, you know, thinking from a game development perspective, if you're doing it at each piece of UI and each piece of you know, bloody game development, you'll never ship anything. You know, you'll just spin wheels yeah. for for nothing. You know, we, we would go back to the old 80-20 rule, right? Like, just get it 80% good enough. The other 20%, you can just fix, right? That's it's fine. You, you, you're well, yeah, four fifths of the way there. Yeah. You know, just that last little fifth, you can just fix up and offline and away you go. So, because if you worry about, you know, you can get caught up in game development about perfecting something and which is hard right because you're, you're creating th this baby i'm putting my blood sweat and tears into it this is representing me in essence um but what happens is that if you get caught up in this uh, perfection cycle you never break out of it and you will never release again and so you know you'll spend your lifetime i don't know three years five years whatever building this thing but it'll never see the light of day and you're going christ was that was that worth it you know yeah. should i have just worried about that should I not worried about that just get it out the door when it's good enough close enough and then just fix up the last few parts because it might go out there and it might just die in the arse and then you go, okay, well, I'm not going to worry about it because there's nothing there. It's got no, no heartbeat. Like, this thing's gone. Or you might say, wow, people love this. Oh, my God. Okay, great. I've got some money coming in now. I need someone to focus on whatever it needs to be within the game. Right, I've got some resources focused on that. I'll work on these other bits. And then this thing just keeps building and it keeps gaining momentum. Yeah, and, and it's kind of what you were saying before about the – that the onion analogy of like, like if you just got stuck testing at that one core part, you've got no, like it, the, the, the act of releasing a game is like nothing else, you know? So like you won't even get oh, to yeah. that for years if you get stuck on that, that one that, tiny spot. That's right. And yeah, that, that releasing moment is such a pivotal moment. I think for a developer, regardless of what happens, you've made it to the finish line. You've shipped the product that that is that is out there like you know that is huge because not everyone reaches that that milestone it's a massive one to reach and and people who haven't reached that milestone yet like you know what's required to get to that like that is a huge effort and then you know good bad otherwise whatever happens you know once you do release that is such a euphoric ride that you'd never forget because you're like oh what's going to happen with this thing like mm. i feel when i hate this are they going to love it is it going to be like Meh, it's okay you know, like, where, where does this thing go? And then when you get that feedback to say, yeah, look, people uh, really enjoy it as much as, you know, the love and passion and everything else that you put into it, where you get that validation, to you just, I don't know, you just can't replicate that feeling. Like, that's that's amazing. Like, I, I get highs now where I'm doing, you know, reviewing, reviewing customer reviews and there's people, <clears throat> players from Monster Instructing Game, and they'll be 13 writing a review, go, oh, I remember playing this when I was five or six years old. I love this game. You're like, oh, that will just set you on a high for like the rest of the week. Like that is amazing that someone can remember your game from back then and they're playing it. And, they, and they've downloaded it now because they've obviously got their own device and playing it. You're like, 
Wow, yeah, that almost brings like a tear to your eye. That is just one of those amazing moments. And that, that's the stuff that we live for, you know, as a company. That's just awesome. Creating those memorable experiences. Like we all know, right? Like you, you grow up as a kid and mm. you get whatever platform you had at the time and there'd be some game that you just go, oh, man, I love this game. Like, And you would have spent hours, weeks, months on that game, yeah. whether it was Zelda, whether it was like, you know, Grand Turismo when it came out and those goddamn enduro races, yeah. whatever it was. You know, you would just be going, yeah, I love that game. And when, you know, yeah, someone brings out a sequel to it or there's an association to it, it just brings back all those happy memories as a kid and that's just you throwing. Like that's uh, that's, the, that's the big big ride. That's a big rush. Mm. Does, and uh, does that lean into a – inversely, does it – do you get like a paralysis when you're about to release because you know that's coming? Um, I think – I don't know. I mean, for myself, I get excited because I know – how much work has gone into developing a new game. And, you know, so for us, it's, it's going, okay, here's all the stuff that we knew worked and what people love, but then we also put new stuff in there that's that's untested. And so you're like, oh, what are people going to make of this? Are they going to love this or are they going to hate this? Is, this? is this the right direction? Like, we should be going down with this? And you're like, I don't know. And so it goes out. And then, like, you, you keep refreshing the pages, refresh, refresh, refresh once you launch. You're like, oh, someone's put a review in. You're like, have a read. Like, oh, okay, this is a bit borderline, right? And you're waiting for the next one. You're like, oh, loves it. Excellent. Oh, he hates it. Oh, no, what happened here? You know, just this whole mixture of emotions. And, um, yeah, it, it's it's funny. But, yeah, as, as the older we get, the more, you know, sort of mature the company gets and so on, you, you try to – try to contain and suppress a lot more of those emotions. You just try to be more, I think, logical about it. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, I know, it's, it's everything involved. It's, I know, it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing. Yeah. And how, how yeah, big is the yeah, team yeah. at the moment at Odd Games? Yeah, so for us, we're a team of 12. Um, we need to put more people on. So we, we just opened up a studio in the Philippines three months ago, finally able to open up the doors after a, What's that? Three and a half year process of uh, going through that. Um, and that was just three and a half year process at the registration stage. So, you know, prior yeah. to that, there was another two years of planning and every, and reading and doing our research to make sure we were structuring and, you know, taxation and capital repatriation, all those yeah. types of things, make sure we're getting that correct and find the right people to work with over there. Um, yeah, so for us, you know, we'll be growing um, definitely over the next 12 months, probably over the next 24 months, um, yeah, increasing the team size. And, yeah, we need to get on more, more platforms. So, you know, for us, we'll be getting onto consoles, we'll be getting onto Steam. Um, so that's the next 12 months pipeline for us, really. And then we've got Monster Truck Destruction 2 that we need to bring to market as well, mm-hmm. which I'm super excited about because uh, we can support 8K resolution for that. So hopefully by the time we get to market, there'll be a lot more devices out there supporting that. So then, yeah, that thing will just look amazing in front of people. Well, awesome. And and um, I saw on your games, actually, you had uh, licensed trucks. What was that like in terms of getting that uh, partnership or getting that kind of agreement in place? Yeah, look, it's really interesting because a lot of the – when you're dealing with, I guess, a lot of these monster truck owners, their sole focus is – you know, either running businesses, so they, they might be, uh, you know, full-time farmers. They might be um, successful entrepreneurs um, that own very large companies. And so trying to get hold of those people and talk about uh, a licensing deal for their truck, which is an outlet and a hobby for them. Um, some of them, it, it is a full-time business, but for some, it's, it's yeah, an, an extension of their, their personality, essentially. Um, yeah, it's really different. So there's a different approach and a different relationship, I guess, with every monster truck owner, um, purely because of, you know, what that represents to them. Um, and so, yeah, just trying to find some of these people is quite hard because when we're looking for the older trucks, which are part of the original generation. So when I say original generation, this is trucks that were built and were running around in the seventies and eighties, trying to find those people, um, that own those IPs, there's a lot of groundwork that goes into it because the truck might have been sold but the IP might not have been or the IP mm. has been sold with the truck and that's gone somewhere then that's gone somewhere then that's gone somewhere so it's a bit like um I know for people that watch CSI on TV it's probably a little bit similar <laughs> like to like, try and find people or it's probably like the other program um you know where they do the family tree yeah that uh, was, I, th- I thought you were going to say that uh, yeah, what's it called yeah uh, what, 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 what is whatever that one is okay, yeah, I know what, whatever. 
where they look uh, where you where you come from and they're doing all that research and stuff. Yeah, exactly. That, that's that's where we go. Right, this monster truck. Right, where are you from? And then we're gonna go back and travel back in time uh, and go find and put all these dots together to make sure that when we do a licensing contract, mm. it's with the right people. You know, because mm. stuff can go wrong very quickly. And then yeah. you know, when money's involved, it's another whole world that gets involved. So it's a uh, yeah, you just got to really know what you're doing, uh, be methodical, do your due diligence, mm. and you know get help when you need it across all these different aspects. Because when we started, we didn't know everything. We yeah. thought we did, but we, we didn't. And we still are learning. We're still engaging with relevant professionals in whole different areas of, of our business to make sure that we get the right advice at the right time. And was that, was that kind of scary and- to go and just like approach – these people who you almost have, you might not have any relationship with and you're like, Hey, can we get this thing in our game? And you know, what yeah, was the look, reception I, like as well with that? Yeah, look, absolutely. So if you're, if you're an introverted person, which is, you know, what I used to be in my younger years, um, when you're going, Oh, we're going to go like speak to these people and they're in different time zones and they don't know who we are, what we do. A lot of them don't even understand video games because that's the age, which is fine. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, uh, it can be pretty you know, daunting, but, what happens, I guess, is over time, you just build up confidence, you get knockbacks, um, you get no's, and you just get more savvy at what you need to do so you increase your success factor. So, you know, I've become a professional LinkedIn stalker, and mm. I'm proud of that. You know, you, you need to, to, to connect with people. Yeah, um, yeah there'll be other forums that we, we connect um, with, with people, and, you know, sometimes you just need to go to someone, and if it's a no, that's fine, but... Don't end the conversation there. Just say, hey, look, I know it's not going to work between between us, but is there two other people who you could recommend I go talk to? Mm. And so what that does is that if you've got this, you know, one going to two all the time, this funnel is just going to keep growing and growing and growing. So effectively, you can't lose because that network's ever-growing and expanding. As long mm. as you keep at it, eventually those, those success balls will, will drop in. It just depends how big that funnel needs to be. Mm-hmm. And is there ever um, – so talking to people who – I guess for people who who are interested in um, like, you know, securing IP for their games, what is there a point in the conversation where it dictates like basically who's promoting who, like if one, you know, if having a conversation with say like um, Coke, it would be different than having a conversation with like the local uh, like bakery or something like that as to what the reach is. Does it ever get to that point where they just go like, we should be approaching you, not the other way. I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but like, I feel like there's a there's a point yeah, where like one's value than the other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a tipping point, right? And it's it's a it's a these are the most awkward conversations to have because <laughs> a you know we're, we're a video games business and we know the reach that we have in the digital world, and then you'll have a bricks and mortar business who has a reach within let's say retail world, and so you've got these two that know there's an opportunity to work together, but, you know, it, it's how does that blend together? You know, how, do, how does that come in? Um, for those listening on podcasts, I'm doing this stitching thing with my two hands um, <laughs> where, where things are coming together. But um, I'm, a, I'm a visual talky person with my hands. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, the, the value proposition, right, that's what it gets down to. It's going, well, because you almost end, end up in this thing, we're going, hey, I've got value, you've got value, and then someone wants to win out. And so you've got to change that mindset. Go, well, it's not about winners and losers here. It's about, look, we're both going to have benefits out of this, but how do we construct an agreement where we both win out of this? And mm. that's been the, one of the biggest things that I guess I've learned personally is about, you know, how to form that and what that looks like. And, you know, at the end of the day, what does Odd Games need to get out of it? And at the end of the day, what does another company want to get out of it? So, a lot of my conversations now uh, with other companies will be, look, here, I think there's some synergies because of X, Y, and Z. Um, if we were to do something together, what does that need to look like on your end? So then I get a really clear understanding straight up early in the conversation, this is what they look for. So then after I finish that discussion, you know, I can sit back and go, well, is that a match for us? And be like, mm, no, okay. So we just end it, you know, thanks for your time, blah, 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 that's it. Or it might be, hang on yeah, this could work if we do this and this and this. Um, and so a lot of the time, you know, we can just structure things differently based on a case-by-case basis 
um, on, on how to have a, a win-win outcome because that's what we want. Yeah, we don't want someone to have one-upmanship on the other one because it's, it's just not going to work and it's not what it's all about. It's about collectively growing stuff together so then you know, we become more successful together rather than I- individually. It's a good way of looking at it, definitely. Especially me who has no business mind at all. I'm the artist. I have no idea. Yeah, well, you know, the, the similar thing happened in South Australia, right, for, for our industry. You know, it, I guess initially, you know, we're all going piecemeal, right, to, to, to the government, you know, at a state and federal level. And you're like, okay, well, that's kind of fine in the early days. But, you know, as things get bigger, the state government and federal government don't want to have 20, 30, 50, 100 different companies from video games going to them and speaking about the same thing. If you've got one sort of, you know, voice, he's the voice mm. of the people, you know, he goes and has a chat, so well, here, as an industry, we represent this, we're the size of this, we'd like to do this. It makes those conversations a lot easier. Um, and, and so, you know, just having the, the scale there um, make, makes it makes it easier. Yeah, for sure. One, it, last, one it, last thing I was just going to say um, before we kind of wrap is we always ask our guests to um, give a bit of advice for, you know, up-and-coming uh, developers or, you know, for either, either from a game games business perspective or even, uh, you know, from a just from a general business perspective, like what would be the, the kind of key advice you'd give um, to people? I would give, if you're, if you're looking to start your own thing, grab the Lean Business Canvas. You can get online. Uh, it's a A4, A3 piece of paper. Um, it's very simple um, overview to fill out. And basically what it does is that it'll prompt you and question you on, I think it's six to eight different categories um, about starting a, a business. So, for example, it'll prompt you to say, right, well, what's your what's your value proposition? So if you're going to go to market with other products or service, what's unique about it? Or are you going to be the same as everyone else? Um, who is your market going to be? You know, so is it, so if we're making a video game, is it the billions of players? Mm, probably not. It's probably going to be a subsection of people that want to play an MMO or, you know, a survival game or whatever it is. Okay, then you break that down further and further and further. And how are you going to get to those markets? You know, so what, what's your what's your channels to market? So it'll make you think about that. It'll think about make you think about uh, what's your revenue model, so monetization. How are you going to monetize what you're creating? You know, is it just going to be paid? Is it going to be free to play? Okay, if it's free to play, well, how's that going to pay the bills? You know, is that going to be ads only? Is it going to be in-apps? Is it in-apps and ads? Is it just interstitial ads? Is it reward ads? Is it pop-up banners? Um, all those types of things. And then, you know, it talks about a cost structure. So, you know, okay, well, you're going to be making something. Well, how's that going to get financed? Are you going to have a team? And I have a team. Is it sweat equity? You're going to have a day job and do this at nighttime hours? Like, how are those things going to work? Um, you know, what relationships you need to have, what, what partners do you need involved in? So if you're setting up business for the first time, you might want to get some financial advice. Uh, you might want to see an accountant, you know, getting some basic things like those put in place. So really it, it'll prompt you um, in all those different areas to fill in probably three to half a dozen dot points about each one just so you can think about those because I think when we create a product or service, we go, oh, yeah, this just sounds like the best idea ever. And you can drop money or a lot of time and effort into it and then get, I guess, jaded along the way because you'll get frustrated that you'll have these hurdles, not sure how to break through, or you'll get to the end, you know, open up the doors and it fails. And you're like, oh, this was the greatest idea ever. Why did this happen? Well, probably because you didn't maybe think through one or two key elements that would have stopped you from maybe going into that or prepared you for this. I'm not saying that that's going to prepare you for everything because no one was mm. probably prepared for COVID, right? I mean, even if you got the best crisis planning ever, I do not think anyone was prepared for like a mass pandemic, right? Yeah. Probably now because we've had it, but, you know, it's, a, it's just trying to keep a, um, a bit of a balance there. Um, and again, you know, trying to think through just some of the, the major things, but particularly more so from a gaming perspective, I see great artists, I see great programmers just – have that commercial acumen to really help give you the financial success that you deserve once you launch that, because that is going to either that's going to decide whether you can do it as a full time career or as a part time career. That's, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, 
I've always and, found um, the business model canvas to, to be so uh, helpful, just like getting your thoughts out and then fleshing it out further. It's just, it's so, so powerful. And I, I've, al- I've almost never seen it um, in, taught in any like game, game development or game design or, you know, anything related to games. It's, it's always like an, in a business uh, thing, but you, you have to mesh those two to, to really like see if you can, um, yeah, make it as a business. Correct. And, and, and for those who are interested in the commercial side, the business side of video games, um, AIE is, is working on a refresh GMDL. So if you want to be involved in the industry but aren't a technician like me, you can't draw to save their life and can't program to even probably turn on a computer, um, <laughs> there is hope there will be a business course available uh, for you to go do, which will then uh, bring you into the industry and and to create opportunities because people who are starting studios um, will need that skill set to assist them uh, to be successful. That's perfect because the only other way traditionally, at least in Adelaide, to start is te- is pretty much either be an artist or be a programmer and then want to start a business. And and I can speak on behalf of artists. We are not business savvy people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> We will yeah, sign well- those bad deals on the hoods of cars and <laughs> things like that. Oh, look, even if you have a, a commercial business person in, uh, let me assure you, you'll still make some crappy business decisions where you like, oh, we just do that? Or, you know, in the down the track, you're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that one. Crap. But that's okay. That's life. Life is full of learnings and that, that's how you get smarter and stronger. Yeah, that's it. Oh, how, so how can people find um, Odd Games um, and reach out to you? Yeah, look, basically, um, they can get onto the website. You know, we've got the Odd Games website. Um, if you want to connect me directly on LinkedIn, you know, uh, find my name on there, Ben Marsh, Odd Games. Um, yeah, they're probably the, the best connection points. Or, you know, if you want, just hit us up with an email, inquiries at oddgames.com.au. Perfect. Thank you so much, Jen. You're welcome. Enjoyed it. <laughs>